we are launching a new series called Follow Me. And if you ever read in the stories of the gospel that tell the different episodes of Jesus' life, there are different patterns that seem to surface time and time again. And one of them is the continued pattern of this phrase, follow me. It seems like everywhere Jesus went, he was looking at people that were um, in his range of view and he was calling them to follow him. And it's such a reoccurring pattern that I think it's is, is worthy of our time and our attention to try to understand what's going on there. I think a lot of you are here because somehow in some way there was a voice or there was a prompting or a nudging or even just um, a, a longing for the voice of Jesus, for a word from him that would help us to discover who he is and what he's all about and how we live a life that follows him. And as I was just thinking about this theme and looking at all the different places it shows up, I, I thought each of the lives that were asked to follow Jesus, the, the people that were called to follow him, each of those people had a different backstory. They had perhaps been following one thing or another and finally came to the conclusion that he's the real deal. And I was just thinking about my own story relative to following. And then I thought, you know, when did I first start following somebody? And Stephen the other day told us about getting his head stuck in a fence. And his mom not being very compassionate. And it was about the same age as a very similar event happened to me. And I thought, wow, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I was just thinking back to whenever I was a little kid in California, and I don't remember a whole lot, but they say that you remember the things that were emotionally impactful. And this is all I remember. There were two boys, a little bit older, walking uh, across the street into our yard, through our yard, to the fence that, that was uh, in our backyard, and then up the hill. And I thought, some kids to play with. And when I saw them do that, I took off after them. Only I couldn't get over the fence like they could. Uh, so I thought, well, I'm just going to go through the fence. So I stuck my head in the fence. And then I realized the rest of my body wouldn't fit. And I'm following these guys. And now I'm stuck. And my head won't come out. And I'm starting to get a little panicky. Well, then I started crying because I'm only five years old. And my head's stuck in the fence. And I can't get out. And these boys left me. And I'm just feeling like... Wow, I'll be here forever. Of course, my parents, they saw it and they came and they rescued me. And, and I, that's the first episode that I can recall in my life of falling somebody and it got me in trouble. And then if I just fast forward a little bit farther down the road, I, I realized that whenever some friends of mine were saying, you know, let's go do this or let's go do that. And we would ride our bicycles to different places and we would explore abandoned buildings and we would kind of get into a little bit of trouble. And one time uh, we decided, one of them decided, hey, let's climb up on the school building when no one's around. And so I followed some older guys up on the school building and subsequently fell off and broke this arm. Fourth grade and spent the better part of my summer in a cast. And my parents are looking at this trend of me following older kids and they're saying, 
this isn't going well. And they decided that they would buy, they, 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 would, they would go out to um, some horse stables about five miles outside of town, and they would uh, um, just get a horse, because my aunt bordered horses out at this place, and if they could, they would rent a piece of property. And rather than me being a town of 3,500, following older kids around or getting into mischief, they thought, well, at least we can contain him here, and he can stay out of trouble. And it was all good because my parents got a horse and we enjoyed horse riding and all of that stuff until the day that my dad brought a mini bike home. And then it was like, forget the horses, I'm all about that. And then some of the neighbor farm kids, we got together on motorcycles and we started riding them, mini bikes, you know, chasing dogs and jumping ditches and wrecking and all that stuff. And my parents are like, this kid is gonna be lucky to make it to adulthood. And there was this sense in the background of my life that I needed something that would tether me a little bit. And my parents knew it, but the problem was none of us had any kind of structure in our lives that was spiritually sustaining the whole family system. We were just people trying to live in the 70s and, and get along. Whenever... Um, I got a little bit older. I was working at a truck stop, changing truck tires. You can tell by my awesome physique that that's what I used to do, pound truck tires. My uncles came and rescued me from that one day. They said, our family farm is in need of, 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 an, of a young person like you to help out because your uncle uh, has cancer. And so I followed them down to the family farm and my uncle assigned me different jobs to do and well, most of the time, they weren't that much fun. It was repairing equipment, changing parts on implements, cleaning uh, uh, cow sheds with the inloader, on and on and on. And I'm thinking, this isn't what I want to do with my life. But I'm not sure what it is. And that kind of leads us up to an encounter that each of you have your own story, but somewhere along the way, Jesus entered into your world or is even now entering into your world and offering a calling, saying, follow me. And I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you that Jesus had a very strong desire to bring as many people on board with what he was doing as he possibly could. And in the scripture, you find that when he shows up on the landscape, it's a game changer. People are starting to pay attention to what he's doing, and it's unlike anything they have seen before. But like so many things, he was misunderstood. So before I go any farther, I'm going to show you just a little clip from the Bible Project, and it's going to talk about this scripture uh, as far as the backstory goes, and then I'm going to jump into that and then go back to where you're at in your story and maybe how Jesus is calling you to follow him. So let's go ahead and show that if we can. 
After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi, who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John, the Baptist, as that messenger, and then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus, and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives. And then, by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. From here, Mark's given us a big block of stories showing us Jesus' power as he brings God's kingdom. He goes about healing people whose bodies are sick or broken or under the oppression of dark spiritual powers. And Jesus even does something that for Jewish people, only God has the right to do. He forgives people's sins. And Jesus' actions here produce lots of different responses. So some people follow him and become his disciples. Other people don't know what to think, and still others reject him completely, especially Israel's leaders who accuse him of blaspheming God and being empowered by evil. But Jesus isn't surprised by these responses. In fact, he draws attention to it. In chapter 4, Mark has collected many of Jesus' parables about the hidden, mysterious nature of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that his message is like seed falling on different types of soil. Some are receptive, some are not. Or it's like a mustard seed that's very tiny, it seems insignificant, but then it grows huge and surprises everyone. Jesus' point is that he really is the Messiah, bringing God's kingdom, but it doesn't look like what anybody expected. And this growing confusion about Jesus among the crowds is connected to a key idea Mark emphasizes at the end of Act 1, that even among Jesus' disciples there's confusion. Even they are struggling to grasp who Jesus really is, and that brings us to Act 2. This for a minute. God is looking at everything that's taking place on planet Earth, and He sees a lot of people who are making decisions or following people that are just consistently getting them into trouble. And I can almost imagine a conversation between Jesus, the Son, and God the Father. And the, 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 the gist of the conversation is, as I'm looking at everything that's happening down there, clearly they need someone who can show up in their midst and be a voice of reason, a voice of deliverance, a voice that is worthy of following to show them the right way because they just, they, they, they can't even, they're so confused down there that they, they can't even fend for themselves. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. Jesus comes into our world and when the time is right, he's baptized and then he begins this very powerful ministry that demonstrates dramatically the power of God at work in his life, but also gives everyone a sense that for once, when somebody says, follow me, it's the voice that resonates so deep. It's the voice of authority in ways that I, I can't even describe with words. Let me just tell you the, the impact as we look at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and following, how this happened. See, Jesus is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee and he's, he's walking by 
groups of fishermen who are casting nets into the water and he shows up near a place that's going to become his, 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 new, his new town, uh, Capernaum. And on his way there, he saw Simon, who is Peter, uh, if you remember that guy from uh, the 12 uh, apostles, and Andrew, his brother. And they're casting nets into the sea for they were fishermen. I'm just going to stop right there for a second because these guys were pretty poor. They didn't have a boat. They didn't have the means by which they could go out and they could find the different locations where fish are schooling. So all they had was a net with stones on the end of it and they would just cast it out and they would pull it in and hopefully the schools of fish would come nearby and then that's how they would they be gainfully employed. All right, so you with me so far? Jesus walks by them, and he just simply says two words. Follow me. And what's so bizarre about this is they drop their nets, and they just start tracing his footprints as he's, as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't like, repent, you're, you're a sinner, you need to be baptized, and you need to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just two words, follow me. And it's always, it's always intrigued me why. Two words created such a dramatic change in the life of, of these two people. So much so that they just said, we're with you for the long haul. And it just makes me think that there is something about the very voice of Jesus that carries so much weight that when you hear it, you can't help but be disturbed by it. It, um, if the only voice that I can even think about was another voice that I heard in my storyline that I didn't tell you about when I was in high school, and I would occasionally get into trouble, and I would be called into the principal's office, and the voice of a person who was a former boxer, uh, now principal, would, in tones that would just rattle my whole being, say my name or say my crime, and it would just scare the daylights out of me. I respected that voice, probably still do. If I heard it, I'd probably just break out into a cold sweat. That's the only thing that I can compare it to. And these guys heard something, and it shook them. But there's a couple other guys who are a little bit farther up the social ladder, the economic ladder. These guys are professional fishermen. Their family business is centered on taking the boat out along with all of the people that they've hired and the two sons and catching a lot of fish and making a lot of money and paying a lot of taxes. A lot of taxes. 60-70% of everything that they earned just went directly into the coffers of the Roman government. The people that they really could not stand. The people that they hated who exploited everything that they did and most of the work that they were doing was for them. That was a thing. And so Jesus is walking into a situation where there are people who are discontent about the state of affairs. They don't like what's happening in the world around them. They would love to see a day when they could wake up and they could just keep their income. They'd love to see a day when they wouldn't have to live in fear of a Roman coming in and maybe hauling them off because somewhere along the way you made the wrong person mad. They long for a day when they could just get up, trust that everything going on around them was safe and secure, and that the relationships of the people around them 
were strong and healthy, but they weren't living in that moment. Matter of fact, there were a lot of people whose minds were not healthy. And it, it, it really comes into play here in just a second. All of that kind of shows you a little bit about what's going on. So Jesus walks a little farther, and there's James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in, the, in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them. And he said, follow me. And the scripture says, <laughs> they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's just stop for a second. Imagine you are Zebedee. And you have two young men who are being trained to run the family business and they're working to, together so that they can keep this thing sustainable and hopefully have enough money after taxes to kind of enjoy a middle class way of life. And Zebedee's watching this unfold. He sees the guy coming on the shoreline. The guy yells out to him. They drop everything and they follow him. Now how significant is that? Anybody here have a family business? Maybe your dad or mom said, I'm going to train you so that you can run this one day and it'll be yours. And mom and I will retire to some Grecian island somewhere and enjoy sipping Mediterranean wine and sit out on the beach while you guys, you know, keep this thing going and just give us enough to sustain it. I got to think that these thoughts were in Zebedee's head when he was looking at these two boys that were getting ready to take over the machinery of the family business. And I can't even imagine the countless hours that Zebedee took the two boys aside and said, this is how you do this. This is how you run the business. This is the best way to catch fish. This is how you deal with people who are trying to lowball you when you take it to market. And on and on and on. He's invested all of these things. And then all of a sudden, who is this guy Jesus coming on the scene and taking everything that I've built up to now away from me? You can imagine. He's seething right now. I would be. Wouldn't you? I mean... Jesus is not just simply saying, follow me, and everybody benignly follows him, and everything is good on all fronts. Now, Jesus is kind of wading into territory where there's lots of landmines. And he's doing this in such a way that it's disarming a lot of people. It's upsetting others. And for some, it's just the right voice at the right time under the right circumstances and nothing else matters. Well, they followed him, and it gets interesting from there because they go on into town, Capernaum, and there in the center of town, which could be anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 people, a, a, a town comparable to Salem. And at the center of that town was a place called the synagogue, and everything that happened in that town centered on life in the synagogue. If you wanted to have religious services, go to the synagogue. If you wanted to file a complaint with zoning, go to the synagogue. If you wanted to do something that had to do with uh, starting a business or whatever, go to the synagogue. See, the, the synagogue was the clearinghouse for everything that would happen. It was the meeting place for all the gatherings. It was the central location. Jesus shows up there, and 
This is what we read. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, which would be their version of Sunday, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes who were just bureaucrats. And as he's teaching them, somebody in the group, a man with an unclean spirit, that is, he's got unseen real entities, pressing in on him, perhaps even inhabiting him. They must be to some degree because rather than the voice of that person, it is the voice of the demon speaking to Jesus and saying, crying out to him, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, they just, they had no, no misgivings in their thinking about the identity of Jesus. They knew. They knew what this was about way before anybody on earth began to connect the dots. They knew. And they knew that one of the reasons why Jesus had to come down into the mess after that conversation with the Father was to deal with them. The spirits, the rebellious spirits that were just creating anarchy and oppressiveness and even heaviness in the lives of the people who just long for a better day. You know, wake up, sun shining, birds are chirping, there's breakfast on the table. Ah, it's going to be a golden day. They're like, can't we just have some of that? But with these guys in the picture... Don't count on it. And Jesus knew that when he came and he's asking people to follow him, they alongside him would be marching into their own form of a battleground. Not everybody would be happy about what was going on. But the people who followed him would find their lives changed. Now Jesus, of course rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And I don't know if you've ever had any experience with the demonic, but it's not fun uh, thinking about exorcism. But in this case, it would be like we're all gathered here and there's somebody sitting right there and let's just pretend I'm Jesus, which I'm not. And I just say, come out of him. And the guy's shrieking and convulsing and the drama is just escalating And then the demon leaves and the person is, well, they're in their right mind again. And everybody, as they're watching this, their eyes are this big and they're saying, what just happened? And they're looking at Jesus and maybe even backing off a little bit saying, this is not normal. There's something that just happened here that's different. And when he did that, the demon came out and then we read this. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Now Jesus basically did three things in the story. Told a couple of poor fishermen, follow me. Told a couple of aspiring young businessmen, follow me, went into the synagogue and, okay, did four things. And he preached a sermon and then he started delivering people. Now, 
When he preached the sermon, it was his way of trying to instruct everyone in what the meaning of the word of God is. It's not unlike what, what I, I try to do here. But what Jesus did is something that um, takes it a step further. And oftentimes I wish I could take it a step further. You know, preaching is, is kind of interesting. Because I have to give you a whole lot of information, a lot of words. And I, and I know if I were in your shoes, I'd be saying, that was a little much. I don't know if I can digest all of that. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Because I understand, you know, when you just hear words, it can start to just drone on and on and on. And after a while, maybe even what I'm saying is kind of blah, 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 blah. But when Jesus said these words, and what I hope whenever I try to echo those words, something of his voice comes through my voice and is able to speak to where you're at. But what I can't always do in my role as I, as I do this is do what Jesus did because it, the scripture says repeatedly that he not only gave a message, but typically when you read all of these encounters that Jesus has over the course of the Gospels, there's deliverance and there's healing. He's looking at the people and he's saying, what's going on in your world? How can I help you? And he prays for them. And if they need healing, oftentimes something begins to happen in their lives well, they're profoundly affected by someone who has power over even that. And then there are other people who come into that territory and they're just anxious in their spirit. There's something kind of stirring them up because for a long time, maybe they were playing in the, in the devil's backyard and they brought something home with them. And now they're just feeling it every day they wake up. I feel this heaviness. I feel this oppression. I hear these voices or I just feel like I can't think clearly. And many people, a lot of people actually, that were in the countryside and in the city seem to be showing these symptoms. And oftentimes the Bible says they had demons. They either had a full-on sort of possession or they had just a demonizing presence because they're kind of cracking the door open uh, through some sin of some kind or some rituals that they did that they've tried to empower themselves with or they've just been doing the wrong things. And Jesus was aware that that can wreck your day too. Now I don't know what your story is when it comes to Jesus looking you in the eye and saying, follow me. But I have a feeling that for some of us, we're just ready. We've followed too many people down too many rabbit holes that never ended well. And we're looking to hear that voice of authority that says, when you follow me, it'll change everything. It'll be dramatic. And people were discovering that it was very dramatic. You know, when I started following Jesus, I was, I was honestly ready. But I never in my lifetime imagined being in the role that I'm in. And I can tell you that as a, as a little kid, I, I was slow in learning how to read. Uh, I just wasn't getting it. I remember my mom would spend hour after hour reading with me and helping me to learn to comprehend. And I didn't know at the time that I had, you know, ADHD. And as I grew up, I never felt like I was a very good student. And when I started following Jesus, 
I was just kind of hoping against hope that some of that, some of those struggles would find a resolution, but I never imagined. When I asked my pastor one day, early on, when I started following Jesus, I said, Bill, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm rereading the Bible, and I'm rereading the Bible, and it's not sticking. How do I... I'm frustrated because I can't comprehend it. And you know what he said? Ask the Lord to help you. And he will. And there's a part of me that said, yeah, that sounds kind of cliche, but I will. And I never imagined, honestly, that I would end up doing what I'm doing. I'd end up getting a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and, and doing doctoral studies, all that stuff. That, that, script when my parents were saying is this kid going to make it that was the farthest thing from their from their minds now the interesting thing is when you ask Jesus to help you with something I honestly think he will he'll maybe do it in his own time but I I sincerely believe that when he says follow me, he's looking at you and he's looking at some of the chaos in your life and he's looking at some of the brokenness in your life and he's looking at your situation and he knows at the deepest level of his being that you're frustrated because things are not what they should be. But if you remember that conversation that Jesus had with the Father, that's the reason why he came. So that he could help us at every level of our being. Every layer of our lives. To put it back into order. That's what the message of the kingdom comprehensively is all about. That's why people scratch their heads when they saw him. They're like, we can't really really put this guy in a box. Because we've not seen anything like this before. He's changing things on such a level. He's profoundly disrupting businesses and synagogues and the demonic strategies against humanity. What do we do with that? So when Jesus says, follow me, trust me, it's going to be an adventure. Now here's where it gets a little weird. Because let's go back to Zebedee for a second. Can you honestly blame Zebedee for being mad at Jesus. I mean, seriously, if that were you, and some guy you didn't know told your two boys, follow him, and they left, I'd be seething. I'd want to go punch that guy in the face for undoing everything that I have tried to do up to now. And to make it even more strange, in other parts where Jesus says, follow me, he says, anyone who doesn't leave father or mother or brother or sisters is not worthy of the kingdom. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, that's a little too dramatic. How do I ever preach that to people? Because I don't know about you, as, as jacked up as my family has been, I don't want to leave those people. They mean a lot to me. But that's the very thing that Jesus says we should do. And a part of me says, too much, too far, too extreme, no. But there's another part of me that says, but if Jesus says, follow me, maybe I should trust him. Because maybe he's going somewhere with this. 
that I, 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 I can't connect the dots on, but it may end up better than you think. You know, when I became a Christian, there were no Christians in my family. Not my mother, my two sisters, my dad. You know, my, my dad came from a background that was Seventh-day Adventist. Grew up in a strict Seventh-day Adventist home in Northern California. Went to school at a Seventh-day Adventist school. And whenever he got to be a certain age and he was kind of prone to get into trouble like myself, he got in trouble with the principal. The principal came in with a rubber hose and he started to beat my dad. And my dad's two older brothers came on the scene. And mind you, these are loggers, okay, so different people. They grabbed the rubber hose out of his hand. They took their pocket knives out. They chopped it up into pieces. And they said, if you ever touch our little brother again, we'll do that to you. So that's the kind of religious understanding that my dad came from. Not surprising that when I told my dad, I'm, I'm following Jesus now. Aren't you excited? And I just think he had a burst of PTSD right then and there. And his reaction showed it. It was more like, what? Why are you doing that? Why are you throwing your life away? And I said, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just completely into my faith right now. And then I started taking all of my records, you know, my LPs that are worth so much now. Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, ACDC. I just throw them in the trash. Because I'm like, I don't want that stuff in my head anymore. And my dad's like, what are you doing? And I'm thinking, you listen to Johnny Cash. You're not interested in those albums. And so I just sort of began to move in that direction. And it upset my dad terribly. And it created a little bit of a rift between us. And I had to make the hard choice. Do I follow Jesus or do I keep the peace? And I decided that, in my case, I needed to follow him. Because I think he's going somewhere with this. Now here's my question. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you make a pretty significant choice like that and the people around you get upset? Because that's essentially what happened. Every time Jesus called somebody, there was, there was fallout. There was collateral damage. There were people who were upset. But they did it anyway. And it was so compelling the things that Jesus was doing, the power that he had, the demonstration of something new, they couldn't help themselves. The scripture says that if the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to him. There was an attractiveness about the person of Jesus that as you read through the Gospels, you'll find that a handful start, and then it's a few hundred, and then it's a few thousand, and then some cases down the road, they say 10,000 people are following Jesus. Why? Because he's the real deal. Now one of the things about being a pastor is I honestly believe that the, the degree that I'm consistent with my, my faith is the degree that I'm going to be heard. Like if I, if I stand up here and I, tell, and I preach at you and tell you how to live your lives, but then first of all, a lot of us don't like to be preached at. I get that. I'm with you. But the other question is, you may be thinking, well, he's not a perfect individual. How does he have the right? And maybe let's just drive it a little bit closer to home. Have you ever had a sibling or somebody that you're related to start pointing the finger at your flaws? 
and kind of judging you a little bit. And you're like, thank you for sharing that piece of information with me. I will change my life accordingly, right? That's you, right? Or is it this? Who do you think you are? Because I know you, and sure, I have skeletons in my closet, but I know some things about you that you don't even think I know that are more, <laughs> that, that, that require a bigger closet than, than mine even. And so we, we really don't like the hypocrisy of people judging us. But the thing that we're finding out about Jesus was the more he talked and the more he did and the more he uh, just embodied all of those things that he was preaching about, the more people saw that they're all one and the same. There's no inconsistency between what he says, who he is, what he does. It's all bundled together and that resonated with people because they're not used to religious people of all things being consistent in that way. And they couldn't help but notice what he was saying. And it was really up to them to respond in whatever way that they felt like they needed to respond. And when Jesus came, two sets of fishermen said, we've been waiting for this moment. That's it. He's the one. And I don't know exactly even why I'm thinking that, but I just feel it at the deepest part of my being that he's the real deal. You ever wonder what happened to Zebedee? I mean, I do, honestly. Was he out there in the boat with his hired hands, looking out on the shoreline, seeing Jesus drawing larger and larger crowds, just going, stupid Jesus, he took my family away from me, just bitter and resentful. Or maybe... Maybe what those boys did was they helped to reset the whole thing. Because the whole thing really, even though it was a healthy family business, there were issues. And there was a need for a reset. Maybe speaking even of my own family. Mom didn't go to church. Dad didn't go to church. Sisters didn't go to church. But it's funny, whenever I started going to church people started kind of paying attention. And shortly thereafter, my mom started reading her Bible every day and all of a sudden, my sister is saying, I want to go to church with you to support you in it. And she was actually benefiting a lot spiritually from it. And another sister and her husband started going to church. The one sister's daughter was paying attention and she got baptized. And then she's been on the mission field several times. And there's something about the presence of Jesus in the life of believers that just can have a contagious effect. Ah, but there's my dad. And believe me, if the stories that he said are even halfway true, I have a feeling he's never going to make it. I mean, that was really what I carried around in my head for so long. Like he's a lost cause. You know, until he got cancer. And he had to sort of think about things at a deeper level. And for some reason, the badness and the evilness of cancer enables his hearing to be so acute that when God spoke to him, he heard it. And not only that, 
He responded to it. And it was unbelievable that the guy who was really kind of discounting this whole nonsense of his son was saying, I, I want to get baptized. I'm like, how does that happen? How does that dramatic kind of stuff unthinkably happen? I was told to leave my family and follow you. Isn't it weird that when you do, your family starts cluing in too? And what Jesus, we thought Jesus was doing was driving a wedge like us or them. He's saying, nah, this is kind of a long game. And it's us and us. But this is the way it has to happen. Jesus knows us well enough to know that that's about the only way we're going to come around sometimes. And so when he says, follow me, to those guys, they each got a story. They each have a heaviness. They each have their worries and their fears. But they see in Jesus a whole lot of possibilities for their lives to come around. And maybe Jesus is saying to you today, follow me. And I know many of you have said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And I will bring you into my home. And I will allow you to be a source of blessing in our lives as we declare you our Lord and Savior. You know, and I think about the, the demon for just a second. Can you imagine the torment, that sense of I wake up every day and my life is not good, my head is not where it needs to be, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm a little even disoriented sometimes. And I have to be honest with you, when a certain teacher I know tells me that there's only a few of them that don't take medications for things that are going on around them, and I'm not going to disparage anybody, but when it's a critical mass of the whole body of people having to take it, you wonder how many other people are having to take it. And believe me, they are important and you need to take them if, if that's the appropriate situation. But sometimes, sometimes, and I, and I say this carefully, sometimes it's just a way of managing a deeper spiritual need that is based on your willingness to respond to Jesus when he says, follow me. And he's not just saying to church. He's saying through every circumstance of every day of your life. Follow me through there. Take me into that. And I'll show you the way. He almost becomes sort of like a guide. Where we have this conversation with someone that we can't see but is clearly very real evidence of their impact on all the life around us that we get comfortable with the idea of hearing that voice. Not a demonic voice that is trying to control us, but the very voice of God who's just trying to love us through life, guide us through life, 
redeem us from things that are holding us captive. Bringing us into a place where things are made right. Now I've told you my story. And I've told you the story about those guys. I'm just ending with a question. What is your story? Who or what do you follow in any given day? And how's that working for you? Especially when Jesus isn't part of it. And so maybe for you folk, like myself, because I'm that guy sometimes too, maybe we have to wake up each day and say, Lord, help me to follow you through the course of this day and to trust you to do those things that you ask me to do. Even when my instincts say, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Because maybe you're onto something that is a little larger than my understanding. Whatever Jesus says in the Gospels about following him, I sincerely believe if we honor it, he'll bless us. And maybe it's time to trust that voice that is telling you in this part of your life, follow me. Would you bow with me? Father, we are so grateful that you give us a sense of who your son is as we hear his voice proclaimed through the word, as we read the things in the scripture that jump out at us and give us pictures of who he was in that time and who he can be for each of us in this moment. I just want to pray for everyone here. The things that maybe different people are struggling with, that maybe there's a voice like Bill Stark saying, ask the Lord. And I just pray that if there are those in the room who just need to, for once, very simply, ask you, that they would, they would do so. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone at the conclusion of this message that needs prayer for healing, that they would, they would trust that we're here to pray for that. And if there are others who are feeling the heaviness of maybe something that's not from you, that maybe even demonic, that you would help us to pray for them. Because we thank you that the authority that we have in Christ enables us to be your hands and feet in each of these situations. And Lord, I just pray finally that if there are those in the room who are being held captive but are hearing your voice, that they would just turn from whatever it is and follow you. If that means getting baptized or coming forward or saying, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here where that question is looming, that we could we could play a role in being your hands and feet. And so bless this series, bless the words that I've said. I hope that they're from you. And may uh, you just help us, Lord, to tune our ears to your voice. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.